transmitting high atop of Florida's peninsula, the one and only you are listening to. Now I'm your host, Alpha Mike. This episode number 104. And what are we going to be talking about? Well, it's not what you think. Today, we're going to bring up another Wise Guy series with Crazy Joe. Now, I know, I know, I gave you the rundown earlier in the month, and you were hoping to hear about mass shooting. But I have goofed on the scheduling, contacting our superhero, Kilo Sierra, at the last second, with a small window of opportunity, and it didn't work out for us. So... That has been pushed back. We threw this in. It was on the lineup anyway for October. We pushed it up early. And we are going to be discussing Joe Gallo. Crazy Joe Gallo. The one and only that they made a movie about. And was certifiably crazy, crazy, crazy. But before we get to that, if you want to make contact with us, you can. It's RaiderCopNation.com. That easy. Once you go there, scroll down, icons pop up, and there we are. Of course, since we're bumping this show, uh, the mass shooting show, and the the short stocking shotgun show, that, that one is going to end up in October. So a little rescheduling and... Uh, on our next episode, 105, I'll give you October's schedule. So things happened, and this one was on me. And uh, in fact, we're, we have a show coming up for October 2nd, is it? Let me just make a quick quick look here before I start jabbering at the teacher. Uh, October 3rd. But I will be out of town, down in Miami on October 2nd, where um, I will be traveling down to Miami, where my stepmom will be having a surgery. So I'll be there, of course, with my dad as well. Taking care of two parents isn't easy. But I will be there, and so there's some ideas of how I can try to get that October 3rd show out. So for right now, I want to say it's pending I'll keep you updated. We may be in the predicament that we have to, for the first time in the history of Radio Cop Nation, miss an episode scheduling. But not to worry. We'll try to, we'll, we'll keep you informed before then. All right. So we have the word of the week. Before I hit you with the word of the week, somebody told me recently, man, you're talking about crime and murder and these mobsters. And then the word of the week, you read the Bible. And I said, my friend, you just don't understand why the Lord himself inspired the scriptures. Now, the word of the week. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 2 Corinthians 3.17 And of course, the Scripture 
is to get you on the straight and narrow. So if we talk about things that are just sinful, the Scripture is supposed to bring you back out of darkness and into light. RadarCopNation.com. You are listening to, and there's where you can make contact with us. Our numbers steadily going up. I like it. We're in uh, what I like to officially say after the September 11th show would be our next season in uh, the podcast history of ours. Of course, we started out as L Police Radio. And then we switched that to Raider Cop Nation. So I would uh, recognize this as our third series, or, or uh, yeah, our third series here of uh, Raider Cop Nation. And um, we started implementing the co host, and we're going to kind of implement them again. In 2020, there will be some other. Uh, kind of um, changes in the programming. Um, of course, the introduction will be changed and uh, some of the formatting. We still have our co-host, but we also will be featuring a guest on here as well. I believe uh, when we first started the first uh, two or three shows we only did where we had a co-host. And then I kind of ruled away from the co-host thing because um, sometimes it's not what people want to hear. And I'm not um, reflecting towards the guests that we had. Those shows I was looking forward to, like Eugene Fields, good friend of mine. I'd love to have him back on, probably have him back on in 2020, talking about uh, some of the good stuff that he's doing. And um, we also spoke to... Uh, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office in recruiting. So I like that. We talked to to um, an agency in Tennessee about Christmas um, giving and how they supply kids uh, with toys and so forth and accreditation as well. So I enjoyed all those shows, and there's no reflection towards them. But I was mostly thinking in terms of not getting involved with agencies because they give you the propaganda you ask for an interview, they grant it, they give it to the PIO or the agency head himself or herself, and all of a sudden you just start getting jibble-jabble coming out of their mouth. How do I know? Well, I started that in 2007, and uh, those are a lot of interviews there with agency heads, and um, you know, agency heads have no problem in their agency and everything is just hunky-dory. And you're listening to their wonderful achievements. So not to rain on their parade. I thought that that would take away from us. So that's my reason for not having it. All right, back to episode 104. Today we're going to be talking about Joe Gallo. And, of course, change in the program if you're listening in. And mass shooting will be 105, which will air... September 25th. So we're pushing that all kind of back. September 25th, I'll read October's schedule. So a lot to cover. So time to break out the, the clowns for episode 104.
04. Crazy Joe Gallo, also known as Joe the Blonde, was born April 7, 1929, in the Red Hook section of Brooklyn. Why is this so important, where he was born? Because that's also the area that he controlled with an iron fist, along with his two brothers, the Gallo brothers. Joe being born April 2nd is a notable 7th, excuse me, April 7th is a notable date that I want you to keep in mind as we move along on his life. He was associated with the Pervachi crime family. As we, if you don't know, I'll explain it to you. Pervachi crime family later becomes the Colombo crime family in uh, 1964 when uh, Provacci dies, there's some realigning there. The underboss becomes the boss of the Provacci family. They're not happy with it, the commission, uh, because there was an attempted hit on Thomas Lucchese and Carlo Gambino that was masterminded by Joe Bonanno and this new underboss in the Pravacci family. So the underboss of the Pravacci family gives the contract to Joe Colombo to kill Carlo Gambino and Thomas Lucchese. Being a smart individual, Colombo said, well, I'm not carrying that out. And he proceeded to drop dime by telling Carlo Gambino the plot. His reward was simple. He was placed by the commission as the new boss of the Provacci family. And to give him honor for what he had done, they threw out the name Provacci, calling it the Colombo family. Of course, there are five families in New York, the Genovese, Gambino, Colombo, Bonanno, and Lucchese crime families. So... That's a little brief history. So back to April 7th, which is a memorable date, was born Joe Gallo, 1929, in the Red Hook section of Brooklyn. His dad, Umberto, was a bootlegger back in the day. So he was a criminal element already. So he never stopped his three sons from getting involved in the, that type of life. So they had a green light. Joe drops out of high school in 1950. Shortly after was diagnosed with schizophrenia. There, hence, gives him the name Crazy Joe. He was also known, as I said, Joe the Blonde because he had blonde hair and even blonde chest hair. His brothers, Larry Gallo, which was the oldest, 
and Albert Kid Blast Gallo, which was the youngest. The headquarters of their operation would be President Street in the Red Hook section of Brooklyn. Now, the Joe Gallo gets inducted in the mafia in probably 1957, where he was given a task by the Provacci family at the time to kill Albert Anastasia. So at the time Joe's given this contract, he is an associate of the Provacci family. Another associate will carry out the crime with him. They got two young hoods from Brooklyn to carry it out. The other hitman would be Carmine Persico. While Albert Anastasia was getting a haircut in Manhattan in a fancy hotel lobby, the two um, came into the barbershop and gunned down Albert Anastasia. Their reward? They were made members in the mob, 1957. Shortly after that era of 1957, the books for the mafia were closed for almost 20 years. So Joe Gallo becomes a member of the mafia. Now, he knew that this job would make him not only a made member in the Provaggi family, but should have given him a statute position and money. But it didn't happen. You see, Joe Provaci, the boss of the Provaci family, was better known as a cheap bastard, and he liked to step on his soldiers and his people. He wanted a tribute not only to all tributes go upwards, he also had dues that had to be paid in the amount of $25. I believe they were monthly. And so I read that $25 dues is from all capos, soldiers, and associates netted Joe Perfacci $50,000 a month for play money. Of course, he'd tell everybody in his family that the money that he was collecting was to support the family of fallen mafioso in his family or jailed ones. Of course, those poor families never saw a dime of what he was talking about. Joe Gallo, being a little disgusted with how things had come out, he just became a soldier, and now he's got more pressure on him to kick money up, and he's got none of the fame and glamour. So in 1961, the first Columbo War, as they call it, broke out, wherein Joe Gallo and his brothers came out with a wild idea, and this is how crazy this idea was. They would kidnap four captains in the Provaci family, the underboss, Joe Maliglaco, and guess what? Provaci himself. Provaci escaped and never was kidnapped, but the rest of them were. And some of the capos, one of the capos included in the kidnapping was Joe Colombo himself. They were held hostage on President Street where the Gallos ruled in the Red Hook section of Brooklyn in the basement of an apartment building where the Gallo brothers kept their pet lion by the name of Cleo. Cleo was chained up in the basement and 
So were the hostages. Negotiations after three weeks started getting a little bit better to release them, and uh, they did. With, of course, the promise that there would be more lucrative operation for the Gallo brothers in the future. But Pravachi wasted no time after they were released and killing one of the Gallo brothers' main enforcers, a guy by the name of Joseph Jogeli Gali, And uh, they killed him, took his body, stuffed it with fish, and dumped it in front of a diner that the Gallo brothers owned. And that's a, a, a part in the Godfather movie where you see that they dump a fish in front of the door of the Colleoni family, and a Sonny opens up the package and sees the dead fish and goes, what the hell is this? And then, of course, the old mafiosi that were in the family, in the godfather, the Colleone family, they knew, and they said, it means uh, Luca Brazzi swims with the fishes, and that's what that meant. So in this case, that was an offspring of what happened here that was placed in the movie, his body was stuffed with fishes that uh, re resembling death. Um, after that, Provacci also went a step further. He secretly negotiated with Carmine Persico. Remember that one of the young hoods that also did the killing of Albert Anastasia. Now, Albert Anastasia was the boss of Murder Incorporated. Now, once they rubbed out Abbott Anastasia, Carlo, Carlo Gambino was the underboss, soon became the boss. It was a com Some people say it was a commission hit. Some people say it wasn't. Regardless of the fact, Albert, the Mad Hatter, Anastasia was dead. And as a result, the guys that shot him were Crazy Joe Gallo and Carmine Persico. Pravacci now says... I'll divide the two and conquer by giving the uh, Persicos what they want. I'll give them a little higher stake of the of the uh, empire, but the Gallos, we're going to get them. And shortly after, uh, the Persicos, after they made their deal with Profaci, they try to lure one of... Crazy Joe's brothers, Larry, into a bar where it was called the Sahara Lounge in Brooklyn. And it was kind of a, it never was open during the day. Like kind of late afternoons, they would open for business. And they would, um, you know, kind of, it was a, a run mob bar, but nothing real was going on during the daytime other than, cleaning the inside of the establishment. So there was an off-duty, well, there was, a, excuse me, there was an active-duty police officer in the New York City Police Department that was patrolling the area, and he's noticing people going in the bar. And that stirred up some curiosity because he knows the bar does not open early. So later on, before the police officer entered, the uh, Persico brothers were in place, and here comes Larry Gallo for the meeting with the Persicos. 
But they assumed that they were going to talk about how they were going to hit Profaci. As soon as Larry Gallo sat down in the bar, somebody tried to put a noose around his neck. They were trying to strangle him and choke him out when the police officer came in to ask the bartender, Hey, you guys open early? And he slowly discovered a guy on the floor. The Persicos made their way on the outside uh, through the back door and ran out of there while Larry Gallo got a serious wound around the neck. And when the cops asked him what happened, he said, I must have fallen. Of course, he didn't rat of what occurred, but it was clear to the Gallo brothers, it's on and kicking now. Of course, that uh, part of what I just described in the bar was part of the Godfather movie also. And uh, so Godfather movie has a lot of pieces in it that basically tell of real stories. But they mix them all together. Shortly after this uh, incident occurred, uh, the Gallows went into what is commonly referred to in mob circles as the mattresses, which is also in the Godfather movie, where everybody shacks up in certain undisclosed locations, apartments, packed with guns and hitmen at the ready, ready to emerge on anything at any time. Uh, during this time, Gallo's father, which we remember we told you was a bootlegger early on, he was the cook in the apartments where all these guys were housed. And they were kind of having difficulty with money because it was hard to get to their locations and their racketeering locations to pick up money. A lot of people weren't paying either because they knew what was going on, so they were playing stupid. So uh, Crazy Joe started leaning on some new establishments. Those people ratted him out to the cops. He got pinched on it and then ended up with the seven-year prison sentence. Now, when Joe Gallo goes away for seven years, this war is still going on. And he starts now recruiting other people in prison, mostly African-American. He meets a, a, a guy, a young man in prison, and he's kind of talented in his own right, and he's moving lots of uh, heroin at the time. So he kind of knows oh, that this guy has talent, but he, he's a little rough around the edges, and Joe could be a great asset to him in showing him how to move product. And that individual was Nicky Barnes, which is a legendary uh, drug trafficker in New York City at the time. During that stay, uh, Joe was transferred to different prisons. While he was uh, in another correctional setting called Auburn, there was a riot. And during that ride, several correctional officers were severely hurt and about to be taken hostage when their rescuer, uh, nobody ever would, would, would think about it, Crazy Joe Gallo came to the rescue of the COs, rescuing them. Of course, being very uh, 
thankful for that. The COs testified in Joe Gallo's parole hearing, and uh, he was soon released. As a result, a lot of people, I, I th- believe I told you that Joe Gallo was a dropout in high school, but a lot of people didn't know that he was quite articulate, intelligent, and well-read. He was studious, and the man had the power of gab. He might have been nutty, might have been nuts. He might have had, as one police officer, chief of detectives of NYPD described him, oh, yeah, the short guy with big balls. He was a handful. Of course, 1971, Joe Gallo's release from prison he becomes friends with certain actors and upscale people in New York City. One of his friends was Jerry Arbach, and he also did, um, what was the name of that series? Law and Order. I believe the first season of Law and Order, or the first couple of seasons, Jerry Arbach was uh, the actor, just to give you an idea who he was. But they were also doing a movie called The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight. It was an it was an offshoot from a book that Jimmy Breslin, which was a, a writer for the New York Daily News, wrote about. And so Hollywood wanted to make a movie of the book. And again, the title was The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight. And Jerry Orbach was one of the characters in the book. But Joe Gallo took exception a little bit about how he was portraying that individual. Of course, the names were changed and all that. So uh, they went out to dinner to discuss how he should really be portraying the guy. And they became the best of friends, and their friendship would carry on for some time. So Joe Gallo, thug of thugs, made 1957 in the Pravacci family. Now, he's released from prison in 1971. It's no longer the Pravacci family. It's the Colombo family. He wants a bigger piece of the action. Now, who was the boss of the Gallo crew anyway? Well, that would be Larry. So Larry was the boss. That means he was the capo, and that means he was a member of the mob prior to Joe. And... Um, during Joe's prison sentence, there was some negotiations to settle the dispute. And that was negotiated by another boss in another area. Now, a lot of people have said it's kind of strange that the other New York uh, City families didn't take part in any type of negotiation of what was going on with the Gallows and the Columbos shooting at each other and going crazy in the Colombo Wars. And a lot of people said they didn't want to get messed up with gallows because they were lunatics. Some other people said they didn't like Pravacci anyway. Who screw him? And after he died, they didn't really care for Joe Colombo either. So a lot of the other New York families didn't want to mess with Joe Gallo, one. And two, they didn't really particularly like the leadership of the Colombo family anyway. So a negotiator, the commission found to be outside New York City would be better, and they got uh, Raymond and Patricia from the Patricia family, 
and he was the boss of, from Rhode Island to New England. He negotiated with the Gallows, Larry Gallo and Albert, uh, sort of a peace treaty. And it lasted until 1971 when Crazy Joe got out of prison. Now, the Columbos knew that there would be a problem when Joe got out because Joe was very voiceful in prison, saying it was on as soon as he got out. So there was no secret there. And the Gallos themselves were saying, you made peace with us, but you didn't make peace with our brother. And we can't tell you what he's going to do. So the threats were in the air. As soon as he got released in 1971, the consulary of the Colombo family, a guy by the name of Joseph Iacovelli, he wanted to meet Joe Gallo and give him a peace offering of $1,000 and kind of settle the agreement that was done in 1963 with Raymond Patricia. But Joe sent the messenger and said, I don't want the $1,000. I wasn't a part of that agreement, and I'm not settling to anything. You want my attention? Put $100,000 in a bag and send it my way. Of course, the leadership of the Colombo family decided it's better to kill Joe than to give him $100,000. So it was on. Now, time goes on, business as usual. Joe's running his mouth. But nothing's really seriously going on. Now, there was a bodyguard that Joe had by the name of Ali Wafa. He was an Arab guy, and uh, he was a pretty much of a pain in the ass, too. But uh, the Columbos got to him, and uh, they whacked him, got rid of him to give uh, Joe a little kind of warning. And uh, But it didn't work. Joe kept on talking and talking a good game. So... Finally, after no negotiations, everything's broken down. They've killed the bodyguard. They're shooting at each other. They're ripping each other off. April 7th, 1972, rolls around. Joe Gallo. Remember, his birthday was April 7th, 1929. Today is April 7th, 1972, and Joe is celebrating his birthday. After a run at the theater, uh, the comedy theater, where he saw Don Rickles and invited him to dinner, by the way, he was hanging out with his buddy, Jerry Arbach, and he proceeded to go to Umberto's Clam House in Little Italy. Now, Umberto's Clam House was secretly owned by another mobster by the name of Matty the Horse Ananello, which controlled... 80 restaurants in New York City. He was a capo in the Genovese crime family. So Crazy Joe wasn't that crazy. He never thought that they would hit an establishment of the Genovese crime family. So he felt kind of safe there. Of course, he had his guard on and his bodyguard was with him. But he, his wife was with him as well and some other people. But he didn't think that they would have the chutzpah to hit him in Matty the Horse, his establishment. As Joe Gallo entered on April 2nd, April 7th, excuse me, 1972, inside um, Umberto's Clam House, he actually saw Matty the Horse and Nello at the bar, nodded at him. They greeted each other, 
and he was given Joe Gallo one of the best seats in the place. Felt comfortable. Anello didn't interfere, but he did proceed to go to the kitchen. Now, there was another associate that was at the bar, and he was from the Colombo family. Nicknamed Joe Pesh, he was Joseph Lupernelli. He ran as fast as his freaking feet could take him to another establishment down the block where there were some Colombo guys, especially a made man by the name of Carmine de Baisi, or better known as Sonny Pinto. And there, they, Sonny Pinto and his crew and a couple other shooters were there. They proceeded to go to Umberto's Clam House. Now, there has some rumors have said that as they proceeded to go there, some associates of the Genovese family had told them, don't do the hit there, don't do it there, but they proceeded to go in regardless of the fact. The gun battled ensued. Uh, Joe's uh, bodyguard was instantly killed. Joe reached for his gun, but uh, Joe ran out of the establishment to protect his wife and his family that were with him on his birthday and have the gun battle outside where three gunmen against one, Joe lost and succumbed to his injuries by passing out on the sidewalk out in the street. Now, after the shooting, uh, Joe Pesh, the, the one that dropped down and said that Crazy Joe was there, all of a sudden thought he was going to be killed. And it so happened, coincidentally, that Joe Pesh was also the driver to the Consolaria, the Colombo family, Joseph Iacovelli. That's just coincidence, of course. And uh, he went on the lamb. He ran. He said, no, they ain't going to whack me over all this. And um, they uh, uh, eventually did get to him, and uh, that was the end of him. Now, Joe, uh, Joe Crazy Joe Gallo's dead. Um, Larry Gallo, I believe, uh, dies of uh, cancer in 1968, leaving Albert uh Albert Gallo, Albert the Kid Blast Gallo, as the only brother. He stays on with the Colombo family, um, and there's other disputes, members of the crew. There's a lot of uh, backstabbing going on. They said they weren't earning enough. They wanted to be switched from crews. And there was just a lot of tension. So the commission, oh, there were some shootouts uh, as well. So the commission this time stepped in to avoid another Gallo war. And Albert Gallo was allowed to transfer over to the Genovese family and the crew of Vincent the Gin Gigante, which at the time of the transfer was a capo, a powerful capo in the Genovese family. And we know that Vincent the Gin later becomes the boss of the Genovese family. So Albert... He lives a long, proper life as a made member of the Genovese crime family and reached a level of capo and retired, and nothing else is really known about him. But uh, So he was the sole survivor of uh, these mafia wars, transferring 
That's right. You can transfer in the mafia if it's approved. And he left the Colombo family. And uh, now Albert, during a lot of these wars, was not a member, a made member. His brother, Larry, was either made in 1957 or prior to Joe. Joe was made in 57 after the shooting of Albert Anastasia. But because Larry was older, he was uh, a born leader, by the way. So he was given the title of capo of the crew. But um, Albert was never made. He was an associate. The books were closed for almost 20 years. So Albert really was not made until 1976. And when he was made... He was later transferred, uh, made through the, I believe, through the Genovese family. So he was transferred as an associate from the Colombo family to the Genovese family and made, in uh, 1976, a member of the Genovese family and rose to Capo, never gave a problem, and everybody was happy with that deal. Now, I want to give a, a brief explanation towards the end of this, talk a little bit more about the about Joe Gallo and uh, why I brought this specific uh, mobster up in this show. Now, when we look at Joe Gallo, they did, Hollywood had a romance with him back in the 60s. He was a pure thug, a schizophrenic diagnosed maniac, which would kill you in a drop of a hat but was well-spoken, educated, and well-read. He knew all the classic books and uh, the elite in society were taken back. Joe moves out of the Red Hook section before he died and lived in Greenwich Village where all the, the hipsters or the yuppies and the high society folks hanging around with actors like Jerry Orbach and so Hollywood loved him, the rich loved him, and he started running clubs and getting involved in restaurants, and things were looking good. He had, in mob circles, a promising career. But it also shows that since he was well-spoken and articulate and everything else, this guy could have ran the family. Some people are born leaders. Now... They do say that his brother Larry was a natural-born leader. He was uh, very patient, low-key, and made tactical decisions while Joe was, uh, you know, blow his top and just take care of business. But they were a, a very strong combination if uh, they were probably in the right family. But the Colombo family was also always a family of turmoil. So no doubt they were caught in the middle of that. But now, let me give you the closing remarks. A relative of mine that will remain nameless, when I was maybe a kid, I, I might have been about 18 years old, very, very close to me, that's all I'll say was talking, there was a conversation going on um, about uh, mobsters and 
paying for protection and the rackets and so forth. And so this relative makes a comment, screw them. Nobody's scared of them. They're just a bunch of old, old, old fogies that they don't do nothing. People, people, other people do the hits for them and the killings. It always stuck in the back of my mind. At first, when I heard it, I said, what are you, nuts? But then I always thought about what, it, what I had heard. And during my research with Mob, I had heard this before. Now, currently, there's a, another individual that I'm going to be talking about in the Wise Guys series soon, John Elite, which was an Albanian uh, associate of the, Colum- of, the, of the Gambino family under John Gotti. And he's very outspoken. He's all over the place talking about uh, that a lot of these guys, who they are. He starts naming names. And I thought it was fascinating. But he starts naming names, and a lot of them were the Gaudis. And he starts saying, never shot nobody, never did anything, never did a piece of work. And um, it goes to show that there was a different society. But he said something that really hit me. In all the years that I had looked and studied some of these crime figures, that he said, the mob works on two folds, earners and muscle. Some people are earners, but they're no muscle. Some people are muscle, but they're no earners. And some people are both. They're dangerous. When I heard that, it hit me. So there are people in the mob. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, Joe, um, Frank Costello was the leader of, at the time, the Luke, uh, Luciano crime family. Of course, it later turns into the Genovese crime family. And Genovese, Vito Genovese was the underboss. Well, Vito wanted to take over. And the earner of the family was Frank Costello, but he wasn't no muscle. Vito Genovese was a no earner, but he was the muscle. Vito takes over on a failed hit to Costello. Costello goes, all right, I'm done. And he retires and leaves the family to Vito Genovese. So there's where you see there's two distinct followings in the mob. Some of them are real killers, and they're also earners. Those people are more dangerous. So when we look at this, you know, we're not trying to make fashionable mobsters. The point of this show, because somebody had asked me, why why am I highlighting this? One, there's an insatiable appetite of people to know and hear about mobsters. Don't ask me. I don't know why. But two... We have to discuss all every show that I talk to you about will have a, 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 good, a good beginning and a very sad ending. They all die or they all go to prison. There is no happy endings here. So if you're a, a mental midget and you haven't picked that up yet, then you will know that I'm not glamorizing organized crime. I'm a learning. Now, we're going to also talk about other organized crimes. We did talk about the Cuban Mafia. Have a little bit more to add. So we will have in the future, maybe in 2020, a third Cuban Mafia 
um, episode, talk a little bit more about the inside of the operation and how they worked hand-in-hand with the CIA. But that's in the future. And we're going to talk about Albanians, Greeks, Russians, Japanese, you talk it. So we got we got a lot, but all of them have, remember, happy beginning and very bad ending. That keeps you on the straight and narrow. As always, it is my honor and my pleasure to be your host on Radio Cop Nation. As also continue to always continue to pray for yourself, your family, your community, the police agency that serves you, and most importantly, the United States of America. This is Alpha Mike until we meet on episode 105. And guide her through the night with a light from above. Thank you. 